0: Good morning, everyone. Hello. (laughs) Well, I'm happy to be here with you today and have an opportunity to share with you. My name is Sarah Tedeschi, and I am on the staff here at Dwell. I'm excited to kick off a no-series month, which means basically we have the next four four weeks reserved for nothing but what the Holy Spirit has put on our hearts for this time. So I'm looking forward to hearing that. So let's get into it. First, starting off with a question. If God loves me, then why would he let this happen to me? And I think that's a question that we've all probably have thought at one time or another, or if we've been lucky enough not to think it yet, we will at some point. You can have an impressive amount of Bible verses memorized, you can be heavily involved in your church family, you can feel like you really know Jesus personally, but yet none of those things really can guarantee you from never feeling trapped in helplessness or disappointment or loss or suffering at some point, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together this good life, no matter how hard we've worked to be healthy, wealthy, and comfortable with our friends, and our family, and successful with our career, something at some point, even if it's just for a season, is going to inevitably ruin it. There might be times where you've even felt betrayed by God. After all, you've been taught that he's able to change your circumstances, right? And yet painful circumstances can make you wonder if he's indifferent to them. So when we're in the midst of a really difficult season, how do we move toward a God that we feel uncertain about? And as we try to make sense of our emotions and our circumstances, questions naturally arise. Why did God allow that to happen to me? And how am I supposed to move forward from this? But there are also deeper questions to ask that can help ground us in our difficult seasons. And that's, who is God and who does he say that I am? because who God is and who you are in him is still true even in painful circumstances. And pain can remind us of God's character and faithfulness. In fact, the root of our ability to trust God lies in what we believe about his character. Our circumstances may change, but God's character never does. We have to look at our circumstances through the lens of God's character rather than evaluate God's character through the circumstances of our life. God is present in our pain, and in that pain, our lives can change if we make ourselves present to God. The Bible is full of people who are absolutely not strangers to pain, right? And today, I want to focus on a passage written by one of them, a man who went from causing great deals of pain to enduring it and who was used by God mightily in the midst of what seems like crushing amounts of it throughout the new testament we see the apostle paul experience a plethora of painful situations because of his faith because of his calling so when it comes to his letter to the corinthians he not only writes out of inspiration and authority of god but he writes from a very real deep experience and understanding with the contents of what he's writing about if you look with me to second corinthians chapter one Paul writes about one of the most difficult times in his life and shares what his response to it was. We'll read verses 8 through 10. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pe- pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the debt. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. We you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here and to share with my church family today. I pray that as I speak the words that you've put on my heart, Lord, that each of us would be open to what you're wanting to minister to us today and that we would learn something new about you, and we would grow in greater intimacy with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in verses 8 through 10, Paul explains to the Corinthians what has happened to him. Again, Paul's not just telling them about his problems, but wants them to learn endurance and comfort through these experiences. Listen to the difficulty Paul is in. He said, For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received The sentence of death. In that moment, Paul saw no way out of his circumstance. and I think often we think of Paul as this spiritual superman, but listen to what he says. He despaired of life and thought that they were doomed. You may have heard people say, God won't give you more than you can handle. And it might be well-meaning, but the way we tend to interpret that is also just totally wrong because tucked into that statement is the sentiment that I can make it. I should be able to do this on my own. But reliance, but Christianity is the abandonment of self-reliance. In moments of pain, our mindset should be: God, I need you. 2 Corinthians 12:9 says, His power is made perfect in our weakness. Christianity is picking up our cross, dying with Christ, rising with Christ, living with Christ. There are so many days that are more than we can handle. And without Jesus, we can't do anything. Definitely not bear the unbearable that's right in front of us. And we will regularly experience more than we can deal with, which is exactly why we genuinely need God to be our refuge, our shelter, our dwelling place. So what was Paul's hope? How did he endure and find comfort despite being so utterly burdened beyond strength? Look at the rest of verse nine. But that was to make us rely Not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul saw that there could be purpose in sufferings. This situation in particular was to cause him to rely on God's power and not himself, not his own strength. God doesn't promise life without struggle. And sometimes answers to prayer don't come the way we had hoped. Paul said, indeed we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul knew that God could redeem bad situations for the good and draw him in for closer intimacy with his father. And he learned to trust God more than his circumstances, to delight in him more than his own strength. It's in Paul's dependence on God that he finds real hope. And in verse 10, he, has, he says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Knowing that God had already delivered him from a situation of despair, Paul set his hope on God to deliver him again. God is a God of deliverance. Sometimes God comforts us by ultimately delivering us out of a specific affliction, but other times God strengthens us so we can endure that affliction. In either case, God is present in our pain, and in that pain, our lives can change if we make ourselves present to God. In Jesus' ministry, he was regularly moved by the pain and suffering of people. One particular friend of Jesus' was hurting so bad that she accused Jesus of not being on time to save her brother from death. John chapter 11, verses 32 to 33 tells of when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It used to strike me as a little weird that Jesus would be deeply moved in spirit and troubled when he knew that he was about to raise his friend Lazarus from the dead. He was about to wipe away all of their tears and fix everything and make everything okay. So why would he be so troubled? But if you pay close attention, you'll notice that it wasn't until Jesus saw Mary and the other people upset that he was deeply moved and troubled. We have a God who hurts for us, who suffers alongside of us and with us and carries us through. He was troubled probably for two reasons. One, Because these people he loved were hurting. His heart broke because they were heartbroken. He felt their pain even though he knew it would all be okay soon. He was present with them in their suffering. And two, because he knew he was the answer to the grief and suffering. If only they would have trusted him. God knows he is the answer and that we should choose to trust him. But even when we don't, even when we hurt, even when we struggle, even when we just stress on our own, he cares And he feels it with us. He doesn't just judge Mary here for her emotions, but is heartbroken alongside of her. That's how I know God cares about us in our stresses, in our lives, in our hurts. His heart breaks for us when he sees us heartbroken. When we don't trust him right away and give our struggles over to him immediately, he doesn't chastise us from afar. Instead, God meets us where we are and is deeply moved for us. So what does this all mean for us, for our lives? Like Paul, we're not immune to facing circumstances that threaten despair and cause grief. It's important to process that, to acknowledge it, and to share it with others. But all of that should be grounded in reliance on God for strength, endurance, and deliverance from our pain. Jesus said in John 10.10 that he came to bring us life, and life to the full. Yet when we're faced with a trial that abundance and fullness that abundance and fullness seems not to just be elusive, but kind of like a cruel joke. Really, Jesus? Abundant? Are you kidding? When we lose our job, when we face a scary diagnosis, or have the strain of meeting a mortgage, or, or rent, or aging parents, or depression, or have another miscarriage, life can feel anything but full. Drowning in its storms when we're left grasping for air, waiting for the calm before the st- Before we can start living the life we planned and had hoped for. But that's not what God's word tells us. In John 10, the full verse says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus' promise of an abundant life doesn't come with small print, hidden requirements or deadlines. He came that we might have life to the full. That's it period. His full abundant life is available to us no matter our age, stage, wealth, gender, color, or level of faith. God's promises are true regardless of the severity of the storm or our ability to handle it well. You may want to escape your difficult season, but life doesn't have to be pain-free to be full. Later in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we do not lose heart. But how do we not lose heart when pain or disappointment rocks our world. We do it by anchoring ourselves on the solid foundation of God's faithfulness rather than our own ability or understanding, trusting that he will bring new life out of even our deepest wounds and our biggest disappointments. We need to look at our scars through the scars of Christ. And our temporary pain, despite how eternal that it may feel, through the promise of the eternal glory that God is preparing for us. When we encounter pain or challenging seasons in life, we have a choice. Am I going to let this situation define me, or am I going to let it refine me? The answer to the question is crucial. If I'm letting this hurt define me, I will feel hopeless. If I'm letting this hurt refine me, I will feel hopeful. In pain, we can either choose to trust and pursue God Or we can doubt and distance ourselves from him. In those moments when our hearts are stressed or hurting, we can either bring it to God or we can try to handle it on our own. I know for me in particular, this has been a very challenging and frustrating season. Just everything with our church and my work and personal things in June I had a miscarriage, and that sucked, and it hurt, and I wondered, God, what are you doing? But I moved on from it, and I trusted that the Lord had a plan, and that through this suffering, I would pursue the Lord, and from that suffering, greater intimacy would occur, that he would strengthen me in my weakness, that where I was weak, he was strong. But then a couple months later, a few weeks ago, I had another miscarriage. And again, I I had a choice. Am I going to numb myself? Am I not going to feel anything? Am I going to push God away? Or am I going to come to God, pursue him with all I have when I need him the most? Because I think we have a tendency, whether it's purposeful or not, when we're hurting, when something horrible happens we can shut down. And sometimes we might not even realize we're angry at God. We just kind of push him away. We kind of stop praying or we kind of stop reading our Bible. And before we know it, there's this wall between us, whether it was intentionally built or not. But if we're not hyper aware, and I know that can be hard when we're going something through something big. If we're not hyper aware of our father and that he's heartbroken with us and that he's our comfort and that he strengthens us, then we might lose some of that intimacy. And no one likes to deal with painful emotions, which is why there are so many people in the world numbing themselves through drugs, drugs, alcohol, sex, busyness, and a long list of other things. For those of us who have dedicated our lives to the Lord, feeling distant from God when we're experiencing challenging times is normal. It's normal, and it's common. But it can also be dangerous if we don't do anything to address it. When emotions are raw, it's easy to turn your back on God and to blame Him for not being there for you. But in the end, that's only going to make us feel even worse. Choosing to trust God when we can't see through the fog of our circumstances is necessary for us not to lose our way. Allow yourself to feel the pain and grief. Doing that doesn't mean you lack faith, it means you're human. The hardest part of grieving is allowing those walls to really come down so you can do that because you have to feel before you can heal. Pain itself isn't the enemy. Pain is the indicator that brokenness exists, that we live in a sinful world. Pain is the reminder that the real enemy is trying to keep us stuck in those broken places. Pain is the gift that motivates us to fight with brave tenacity and fierce determination, knowing there is healing on the other side, and in the in-between, in that desperate place when we aren't quite through it yet, and our heart still feels raw, pain is the invitation for God to move in and replace our faltering strength with his. I'm not saying that to throw out spiritual platitudes that sound good, I say that from the depth of a heart that knows it's the only way. We must invite God into our pain, our disappointments, to help us survive the desperate in-between, between the pain and the healing. The only other choice is to run from it by numbing ourselves. But numbing the pain with food, achievements, TV, drugs, alcohol, or sex never allows you to get to the source of the real issue and heal. It only silences our screaming need for help. We think we're freeing ourselves from the pain, when in reality, what numbs us imprisons us. If we avoid the hurt, the hurt will create a void in us. It slowly kills the potential for our heart to fully feel, fully connect, to fully love. It even steals the best in our relationship with the Lord. But for you, maybe it's not about the current season you're in. Maybe you've ran from or ignored past hurts. Jeremiah 29, says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope, And a future. God wants to heal the pain of your past and use what you have experienced to pave the way to his plans for your future. Have you ever asked, if God loves me, then why? That kind of question can linger in our hearts when we've been wounded and disappointed. And hurts that aren't healed can lead to bitterness into bondage, yet in the security of a relationship with Jesus, God invites us to ask hard questions and look for answers that usher us in to the depths of his redeeming love and his healing power. Let me impart some hope into your heart today. If you are living and breathing, your purpose has not yet been fulfilled. No matter what you have done or what has been done to you, God does have a plan for your life. So how can you discover those plans? Let's read the premise that follows the promise in Jeremiah 29. After God declares he knows the plans he has for us in verse 11, in verse 12 and 13 he says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We find God's plans when we surrender ours to him each day. It's a moment-by-moment process of coming to him, talking to him, believing he listens, and letting him love us into a place of hope and of healing. God's love is not a quick fix for our wounds, but it does have the power to redeem and restore in us a confident hope. When we allow the Holy Spirit poured out like living water to go deep into our pain, he can heal our hearts from the inside out. As we process the pain's, of our yesterdays and lived through the disappointments of todays, doubts may still creep in, threatening our hope. But each time that happens, we can stop and seek God in that place. We don't avoid Him. We can ask Him to show us His purpose by revealing what is true about who we are and what we have been through. Then we can ask Him to help us redefine our future, not through the filter of our past and our pain, but through the power of his life-giving truth. And do you know what happens when you do that moment by moment, day by day, doubt by doubt? God tells us in Jeremiah twenty-nine, fourteen: I will be found by you and will bring you back from captivity. We can find him again and again. We find the one who longs to lead us out of the place of captivity, out of our doubts into a place of freedom and of hope. I know this is true because I've walked it, I've wrestled with it, I resist it, and I finally have surrendered to it. God's love is not only unfailing, but it redeems and it restores. His truth cuts to the core of our struggles, brings purpose to our pain, redemption from our past, and hope for our future. All of us have experienced trials and pain. All of us are living wounded and scarred to some extent. We learn to deal with our wounds and press forward, but whether we acknowledge it or not, wounds and scars change us. They change who we are. One of the most critical spiritual exercises we can undergo is allowing God to heal our past wounds and guide us to a lifestyle of forgiving present scars. Without healing and forgiveness, other people's mistakes will affect our future. Without the inner working of the Holy Spirit, we will live in continual sin, continual suffering from the sins of others. Last year, I was going through what I call a spiritual growth period where I knew the Lord was preparing me for something new. Every once in a while, I'll feel that. I'll feel him shaping me at a new level or, deepening my, or my, deepening my current spiritual gifts to be used more powerfully. But before he can do that, he has to heal. And there was this moment that I, I, I felt something stirring up inside of me. And I knew I had to deal with it if I was going to move forward and be everything that God had called me to be. I was praying one day. And all of a sudden, these words, these sentences, these insults from my childhood started playing in my head. And I knew those things still hurt my feelings. But I didn't know the level of impact it still had on me today. And as those thoughts, those memories started playing so vividly in my mind, I began to weep, and it wasn't just like a little sniffle. It was like full-on, ugly crying, screaming out on my knees, a mess, just crying hysterically before the Lord because there was this thing inside me that I didn't let the Lord deal with because I was a kid. I didn't know how. I didn't know how to do that. And I think that's something that a lot of us have too. Before we were a Christian or from when we were a kid, we have all these hurts that we didn't know how to deal with properly. And the Lord needs to re-break that. And it's going to hurt. It's going to sting. But you have to let him do it. If you're going to move forward into everything that he has for you, to everything that he's called you to be. Our God is a God of healing, present and past. Psalm 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Psalms 103 verses 2 through 4 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. And then finally, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. The Lord longs to speak to the wounded places of your life and to heal them with his love. Let me ask you something. What past experience, trial, hurtful word, or person is still harmfully affecting your life today? Where do you need the Holy Spirit to come and speak healing over you? Where do you need to cry out to God in anger or frustration over a wound? He's a big God. He can handle it. Opening the wounded places of our hearts is an emotional and it's a difficult process, but until we allow God into the harmful events of our past, we will never experience true freedom and restoration from them. Until we allow ourselves the space to deal with what some have been harmful and defining moments in our past, we will never experience the entirety of the abundant life available to us in the present and future. And as the Lord begins to heal our wounds, we must allow him to guide us into a lifestyle of forgiveness for our present scars. We must forgive the people who hurt us, even though they were wrong, even, when, even though what they did sucked, you know. We have to forgive them if we're going to be whole and healthy. It's not for them, it's for us, and it's for our walk with God. And it's for everyone that we're going to be used to minister to. We have to forgive the people who hurt us so the scars in our lives become symbols of God's redeeming love rather than reminders of painful events. James chapter 2 verse 13 says, "Mercy triumphs over judgment. Show mercy to those who are undeserving of it, just as your heavenly Father has shown mercy to you." Love your enemies as Jesus did so that you, you can experience triumph instead of pain, freedom instead of enslavement to negativity and joy instead of anger. My hope for you is that you allow God to love you, hold you, and to care for the places in your heart that need his healing touch the most. Pain is the sensation that indicates a transformation is needed, that because we're human, there is a weakness where new supernatural strength needs to enter in. And we must choose to pursue long-term strength rather than temporary relief. So how do we get this strength? How do we stop ourselves from chasing what will numb us when the deepest parts of us scream for relief? We invite God's closeness. There's a great quote from author and pastor Tim, Tim Keller that reads, Only when our greatest love is God... A love that we cannot lose, even in death, can we face all things with peace. Or in order to seal this in our hearts and pursue the love of God, there's a few vital things to do in the midst of our pain. For me, closeness with God and encountering God's love means praying. I pray all day. And I don't say that to make myself look good, it's because, man, I'm not good and I need help. I can't do this on my own. I need him because no matter how vast our pit, prayer is big enough to fill us with the realization of his presence. James 4.8 reminds us that when we draw near to God, he he draws near to us. When we invite him close, he always accepts our invitation. And on the days when your heart feels hurt and on your days when your words feel flat, let scripture guide your prayers. This is where I learned the power of lament and drawing near to God by immersing myself in his word to combat the lies with truth. Cry out and say, if you are who you say you are, God, then I'm going to press into that pain and difficulty. I'm going to call you on it, God. I'm going to let go of my expectations. I'm going to surrender everything to you, And live according to your word and live in expectations of your faithfulness to your promises. In seasons that are filled with fears and doubts and pain or uncertainty, learn to meditate on, proclaim, and pray God's word. By doing that, I've learned to live with an expectant heart. Show up as you are. Pray when you don't want to pray. Worship when you don't feel like worshiping, and every time you show up, it's an invitation to allow God to work in your heart. On top of these disciplines, though, we need each other, and we need to talk to others. Find trustworthy people you can talk to about what your experience is, about what you're experiencing or have experienced. If you faced a huge disappointment, acknowledge it without minimizing the experience and hurt there's a temptation to isolate ourselves, but it's so important to speak with others who will walk alongside us and who have gone through similar experiences. When you meet with others who share the same pain and concerns, it helps heal wounds. I'm definitely not advocating for you to not take time for yourself. I need alone time to survive, but the enemy loves it when we remain isolated. It prevents you from finding straight strength that comes from others. We are called to uplift one another. As we close out today, we're going to invite Jackie to come up and lead us in another song. But as she does, I want to leave you with this sentiment, and that's you are not your pain. Pain can take a toll on you, tempting you to view everything through the lens of an aching heart and a weary spirit. And society often tells us to identify ourselves by whatever we perceive with our eyes and feel with our flesh, even when that identity misconstrues reality. But when we look up from our visible temporary circumstances to our invisible eternal creator, we see who we were truly created to be in relation to him. The enemy can tempt you to find your identity more in your suffering than in the one who suffered for you. But you're not your pain, and you're not the bad things that have happened to you. That's not what defines you. You may have, have someone that abandoned you, but you're not abandoned. You may have failed, but you're not a failure. Life may be crushing, but you're not crushed. Do not let moments or seasons of suffering define you for a lifetime. Remember your God-given identity. You are a new creation. You are free, so don't live boxed in by hurts. In this sinful world, we will grieve, but not as those without hope. We will be sorrowful, but we are not without reason to rejoice. We still have trials of many kinds, but we can always take heart because he has overcome the world. So as we sing one more song in response, let's make the choice to really be present with the Lord, to look at our circumstances through who God is rather than look at God through our circumstances. Lord, I thank you that you're a God who comforts, who suffers alongside of us, whose heart breaks for us, that what we feel matters to you, no matter how small, no matter how big, your ready arms open wide to strengthen us in our weakness to give us hope when we're feeling like giving up. God, we thank you for your love, your deep love, your genuine love. No matter how we feel, no matter what we do, nothing can change your love for us. And we thank you for that, God. And Lord, I pray that today and going forward, we begin to reflect those areas of our life that need healing and that you would be there for us and that we would reach out for help when we need it. We wouldn't isolate ourselves, that in community, we're stronger together. And I thank you, Lord, for this community. I thank you for everything that you have for us, that as you heal us, I thank you for everything you're going to bring us into next. That as we're comforted by you and comforted by each other, we're ready to comfort others in this lonely, sad city. God, we thank you that you're our hope and we're ready to give that hope to others. So Lord, I pray for restoration and I pray for healing and I pray for peace and joy in your name.